Uncommissioned Podcast is a spirited discussion amongst colleagues in the profession. Our discussions reflect our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions or views of our employers, the American Planning Association, or even those of our alma maters. So grab a seat in the back of City Hall, dig out that old copy of Robert's Rules, and for goodness sakes, read your packet. The Planning Commission is now in session. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number two of the Planning Commission podcast, season two, Save the World, Plan a Tree. Man, this is a subject that I know, for me, I'm going to nerd out on because I get excited about uh, this this tool, I'm going to call it, and we'll get into this discussion uh, a bit more with a subject matter expert that knows the world of urban tree canopy far, far better than us. And uh, man, I'm just truly excited because I think it's something that we just don't talk enough about in the planning profession. So fellow commissioners, how are we doing? <laughs> we're surviving and thriving, standing tall, like 2023, talk off about to today. a good start, right? I hope it's a good start. Listen, every day, I wish I was Generation X again. I just <laughs> would have better excuses for my lack of technical skills well, with this entire podcast situation. Yeah, but I've got like hips hurting and other stuff when I get up in the morning. So I don't know if you want to go back that far. With we that. were it's we were left cons. yeah we were left to our own accord here's your house key at the age of six and uh don't burn the house down yeah how's that supposed to happen right i mean i don't know i definitely I think tried I, that i mean is that the difference between me and you guys i actually burnt a hole in the carpet and this is true that you did shut the door and hope nobody looked at it <laughs> Well, my stepdad, my stepdad was an artist, and we had in our garage hundreds of cans of all kinds of spray materials that were ah. very toxic and even more flammable. <laughs> how do I know that? <laughs> yeah. So how we didn't burn hick. the house down? I have no y'all idea. Were hicks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. As I mentioned, we're going to talk all about a, a particular feature of our urban and rural environments, for that matter. And it's something that I, I really, again, it just doesn't get talked about enough in, in the world of planning. And I think we're going to do our part today to shed a little bit of light on this subject. And that's, uh, again, urban tree forestry and, and canopy and, and really the effects, the multiple effects that that could have on our health, our, our communities, and so on. So to my fellow commissioners, First thing, question. I just got to ask you, man. Did do do you have any recollection in your life? And it's a, I know it's a big ask in a short question or short period of time, but of a particular place or or even a particular tree in your life that sticks out as a memory of just kind of going, holy cow, that stuck in my mind. And as you're thinking about it, I'll give you mine. Okay, lots of them. I thought about this quite a bit. And there's lots of examples that I could go to. My favorite place in the world is McCall, Idaho. Um, someday when I have to go, I want my remains to be spread around a hill that's <laughs> filled with all kinds of ponderosa pines because it's just my favorite place. But as a kid, my grandmother lived in suburban Orange County, Los Angeles area, and they planted the absolute wrong species of tree <laughs> along her street. And they were huge, huge, huge oak trees. And the acorns, when they would fall down on co- tops of parked park cars, <laughs> sounded like rain. And the acorn fights that we would have, I mean, how nobody lost an eye, I have no clue. But nevertheless, 
those memories and that huge tree canopy as a kid, it was only, you know, three feet high was just unbelievable. And sadly, most of those trees have been cut down because as you would imagine, the root structures just did what it did. And, but man, they were glorious. And the memories that they still give me to this day are, are, are there obviously as if it was yesterday. So that's mine. Either of you have a, a memory of a, a particular big canopy tree area or one in particular used to climb all the time or what you tell me. Yeah. I grew up in um, what John calls Eastern Western North Carolina, which is not a real place. It's just in the foothills. And we had a lot of different tree varieties, which I didn't know was weird until I moved to Alaska. And when I moved to Alaska, I got two trees. I got a, I got like a, <laughs> a black fir and they've got a birch tree. I mean, that is it. Um, but in, in my, and growing up, we had, uh, I'm thinking of three trees that were just like in the yard. We had yeah. a sweet, a sweet gum tree. We had those spiky balls that, that like the, I don't even know what those, those things hurt. are. Yeah. Those hurt. They hurt if you step on them the wrong way, but they make really good fun for like playing house. And then, uh, it, it could be anything you want. And then, uh, we had, uh, is it a poplar tree? And they make those little spinners, right? They're little oh, seeds, yeah, yeah. and and they look like a helicopter coming down. Um, that was a really, really big tree in the yard, and I remember Beautiful. the day they had to cut it down because it was like, oh. gonna, yeah, it's gonna fall in the house or something. Mm. I don't know. I I maintain that my mother was just trying to expand her rose garden, and it was in the way, and it was shading her roses. So, um, and then we had get this, we had both a crab apple tree and there was a persimmon tree which is the grossest fruit you've ever eaten wait if you get it off a tree in some residential area well, where when it's, it's not <laughs> ripe no, when it's not I, ripe that's like I, sucks all the moisture out of your mouth oh, but have you, so had, pers- have you ever had persimmon pudding you're gross i'm no persimmon I'm not- pudding Listen, that's, that's classic. Don't eat, listen, don't eat crab apples either. They are oh, not yeah, cranberries. No, no. They are Gosh, not cranberries. No, yeah. yeah. So Who would have thought that trees. persimmons would be a triggering event Ugh. for the two of you? Jeez. Uh, it's like God. the state right. dessert of Indiana or something like that. Persimmon. Well, don't, who right. goes to Indiana? Let's be honest. I mean, that's wow. A there's just somebody else getting thrown under the bus. Don. <laughs> Change know, the change the page. I know one excellent person in Indiana, so there's that. That's that. That's fine. Hi, I just uh, I don't know if a particular <laughs> one, but it does remind me of one of my favorite songs by the prog rock band Rush called "The Trees," about the social and work labor struggles of trees fighting in the forest for attention. So uh, the, that's what you're I'm a Rush with. fan. You and are now I'm fan. happy to be a millennial because I don't have to be a Rush fan. Jeez. <laughs> wow. Well. <laughs> I knocked that out on rock band every time, like a decade or so ago Uh, when rock band was uh, popular. Yeah, right. Decade? I think we're taking 20 years. Anyway, okay. This is about to get real heated. Yeah. (laughs) Lots of good memories. And uh, hopefully our guests will share some of uh, the benefits of maybe said crab apple tree or person. (laughs) So forth. So wait, wait. Crepe myrtles. I can't wait to. Yes. Crepe myrtles. Those are everywhere. All right. So I am going to um, get into our whiskey pairing and hopefully at least for those of you on the YouTube channel can see what I have on my screen. Confirm with that, my fellow commissioners. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So our whiskey pairing, most of the time, Commissioner Kostelik heads this up, but today it's my turn. We're going with Noble Oak. 
and I've had, I have it in my bar and uh, I had the good fortune of forgetting the bottle today. So I can't show it in person, <laughs> but uh, it is, it is a really good, they make a good bourbon. They make a good whiskey or a good uh, rye and man, it's worth, it's worth check, checking out. But a couple of things that I had no idea about with Noble Oak. And by the way, they're finished in uh, sherry casks, sherry oak casks. And so that's part of what gives them their extra flavor. Uh, but clearly beyond the name, which is obvious, look at this. Every bottle plants a tree. Are you kidding? Aww. So you buy a bottle of Noble Oak and you are planting in literally hundreds of thousands of trees all around the globe. And so what a pleasant surprise. Good for the good folks at, at Noble Oak. Super proud of, of that. I think that's a heck of a, a mission. Um, noble indeed. And uh, I didn't even know a little bit their background also. Who owns them? Yeah, this company called Edrington. So they're actually... Oh, a scotch, a, a company owned by a massive <laughs> scotch owner. Whiskey, bur bourbon made by scotch? Say it ain't so. Well, it's true. Uh, they are the makers of Macallan, which, I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. If you're going to have some scotch, going to do <laughs> Island it. Park, I mean, it, that's 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 about as good as it gets, right? I think I've we got... should start one called Clear Zone Whiskey, and then we can partner <laughs> with them and plant trees in the clear zones next to roads to, to make them safe. <laughs> kind of the natural synergy. That's a good call. That's a good call. All right. So Noble Oak, our whiskey. Uh, good choice. Good choice. Yeah. And man, what a pleasant surprise, right? So on to our guests. Oh, gosh. I'm super excited about our guest, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Donovan, who is a, res a research forester for the USDA Forest Service. Mr. Donovan, thank you for joining the Planning Commission podcast. Not at all. It's a pleasure. And I should say, uh, just last year, I planted a persimmon tree outside my house for my wife. <laughs> See? So, How is it? Of course uh, well, did. Unfortunately, they did. They only had these tiny little seedlings. So, it's depressing, it, isn't it? Well, it's, it, well it, it's the size of a lollipop stick at the moment. So it's <laughs> oh, not, God. Not, not you're not making room. pudding yet. There's no pudding no, cups. No, oh. you, you, you could uh, you know, definitely you can stand over the top of it. But, <gasps> So that, there's so that, one thing, one thing worse than persimmon pudding is, is like oh lemon gosh. curd. It just, oh, it lemon curd is delightful. So yeah, what is wrong with y'all? Have you tried lemon curd and s'mores uh, <laughs> on the graham okay. cracker with the no, chocolate? Anyway, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, give this it a whirl. This is where I, I draw I the line with y'all folks. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Well. Oh. I tend to agree. Maybe I don't know. She, like if you mentioned, she's you know millennial. We got to cut her loose at some point. But I don't we like keep her around. Either. I don't <laughs> like chocolate or puppies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jeff, tell us a little bit as we get started. A little bit about you, your yep. background, and you know your your research is incredible, as we'll dive into in a little bit. But how did you take this journey to where you are today? Um, become a researcher. Give us the whole background. Yeah, so I um, I have a PhD in forest economics uh, from Colorado State. So I, I graduated in 2001. And uh, for a long time, I the first sort of almost 10 years of my career, I concentrated on wildfire, a lot of the economic aspects of wildfire. But so sort of around 2000, probably eight, uh, 2008, nine, my boss at the time, he said, oh, you know, urban forestry is kind of the coming thing. You should have a look at that. And so I did a study about trees, uh, the effect of urban trees uh, on house price, uh, a fairly mm. standard study. But it really got me thinking. And uh, 
you know, because I'm, I'm interested in the intersection between people and natural environment, particularly mm -hmm. the benefits you get. So it's that the Venn diagram, you know, where the natural environment and the people. And the, so you end up with a paradoxical thing is if you care about the benefits of the natural environment, you study it in a city because that, that, that's where the people are. So I started to look at various uh, benefits, which we can talk about, um, of trees. Some of the ones you might expect are fairly intuitive. So they increase house price, they reduce summertime cooling costs, they affect stormwater. But then I, I started to realize that maybe I was missing something. Uh, and so I started to focus on uh, health. I also did some work on crime, but realized that public health, the public health impacts of trees are really that's where it's at. That's where the big benefits are. They, they really dwarf all the others. You know, a lot of the other benefits mm. end up being rounding error compared to uh, uh, the impacts of trees on public health. So most of the last uh, 10 years or so, my first study, health studies back in 2011, uh, trees and birth outcomes. And mm. since then, that's been my primary focus. Um, up until, you know, recently, I just published a paper a couple of months ago, which I think you guys saw, you asked me to come on, and that was the impact of trees on, on human mortality here in Portland. So yeah, I mean, it's um, it's really fascinating. It's kind of literally life and death stuff. Uh, so I mean, <laughs> once you get into it, you realize, well, it's so obviously important and so obviously understudied uh, that you know I'm, I'm really delighted that I can work in this area. And where we bring this in and in, in our planning work and uh, Chris and I haven't done health analysis, when, when we go back to like zoning code language shall yeah. be for health, safety and general welfare. Yet we mm -hmm. come across so many times where the clearing of trees on a lot or other, mm -hmm. other things occur. What are those many types of health impacts that make all the other impacts rounding errors? Well, let's see. I mean, you know, for example, the study just did, you showed people literally live longer. They, you know, there's a, if you plant trees, you see lower human mortality. So unless you're a sociopath, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. My apologies to the sociopaths who don't care about the, about human life. But if you do, then that's the thing, you know, uh, for the impact of trees on birth outcomes, that's a big deal. You know, kids that are born underweight, or premature at birth, you know, puts you a much bigger risk of dying at birth or having health complications. But it also puts you on a trajectory through life. You know, kids who are underweight, um, premature, they they do worse in school. They have lower lifetime earnings. It's a real, it's a problem. Hmm. So that wow. if you can really set that kid on that trajectory, you know, at the beginning in a better way, that's something really important. Trees also, and also the microbes that live on trees, bacteria, stuff, they can have a really big impact on our immune health as well. That is, they can help train our immune system. They make us less likely to have immune diseases. There's a real sort of increase in immune diseases in uh, Western countries, developed countries, as we, you know, kind of, um, as we separate ourselves from the natural environment, there are some real profound consequences for that. We're separating ourselves from those uh, microbes that we evolved with for millennia and our immune system start to go wonky. You know, we get hay fever more often. Oh, well, that's not such a big deal, but things like childhood leukemia are on the rise and very mm. serious diseases. So that matters. You know, there's also trees on cardiovascular disease. Uh, I think I, I looked um, a little while ago, if you look at the 10 biggest killers in the world, um, the natural environment has been sh is at least associated with uh, positive impacts on nine of the 10. 
Hmm. I think it was like diarrhea was the only one. And then in <laughs> and in the U and then the US persimmons, man. Persimmons, they could do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. They they would actually they, that could be a problem. <laughs> But if you looked at the the 10 in the US, 10 yeah. leading cause of death, exposure to the natural environment has been shown to improve all 10. So, you know, I mean, these are associations, a lot of this work is preliminary, but yeah, it's 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 a big deal, you know, that both and trees are a big part of that. And the other thing to think about is that the natural environment trees are a modifiable part of the environment. That's super important. It's something you can actually do something about. Yeah. And you can do it cost-effectively. You know, if you find, well, for example, um, I've done some work on asthma. And we know with asthma, if you, have, uh, if you go to daycare, you're less likely to get asthma. If you have more older siblings, you're less likely to get asthma because they expose you to, you know, microbes. You may be familiar with the hygiene hypothesis, this notion mm -hmm. that we have to do that. And that's interesting, but you can't issue kids with another sibling or demand that they go to get daycare just to do that. It's, it, it's an interesting relationship, but it's not that relevant from a policy perspective. On the other hand, if you find that kids are exposed to more diverse trees and plants, that's very much something that can be done. So that's another thing. You know, this is you can do it cheaply and you can do it at all. So I think that's another thing that, that people sometimes uh, forget about. You know, trees. So, in this study that you were just talking about, what was there anything that surprised you about your findings? Yeah, I mean, the it still surprised me. You know, sometimes the strength uh, of the you know and the magnitude of those relationships are really when they pop out at you. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I've, I do this, but still, you can be like, wow, th th there's really something here. So, yeah, that was that was a big deal, and th that was also interesting. So, uh, thanks to friends of trees as well on this one because. Um, for some peculiar reason, they keep meticulous tree planting records. You know, they don't, you go to other organizations, you go to city agencies and say, hey, we need, I need records of where you've planted trees. Oh, well, we don't have them or they go back five years. Friends of trees, on the other hand, 30 years of meticulous records. Jeff, before you go any further, can you just explain to people who aren't familiar with Friends of Trees oh, sure. who they are? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Friends of Trees are a nonprofit uh, here in Oregon. Most initially started in Portland. They've been around since about 89, I believe. And their focus is kind of what you would expect, planting trees in urban areas. So that's their focus. And I've, I've partnered them for a while. Uh, but one of the things, if you're interested in looking at how trees affect human health, and you look at tree planting, tr one of the really annoying things about trees is they're slow to grow, right? It's just really... <laughs> Yeah, it's profoundly it's tedious. I take it as a personal affront. And so if you're going to look at it, you need decades of data, right? And just nobody has it. And But for some reason, friends of trees, they're just good record keepers. Mm. So I happened to talk to one of them. They said, yeah, yeah, we've got 30 years of data where we can tell you the address we planted a tree, you know, wow. the date we planted a tree, the species. And I was like, you've got to be kidding, right? And so they, they were also gracious enough to give it to me. So then I, I looked at, I combined that with health data from the Oregon Health Authority. And so we looked at, um, we had to look at mortality in census tracts, uh, which uh, there's about 140 in Portland. They're roughly, say, the size of a named neighborhood. So if you think of it as a neighborhood, you'd be about right. Because, you know, for privacy reasons, you can't get data down to the individual. So we looked at neighborhoods and we found if you planted more trees in the last 15 years, 
there was lower non-accidental and cardiovascular mortality. Hmm. So that was kind of interesting. And then, but when you get a result like that, you want to kick it a bit, poke it and prod it partly to see if it's wrong. Right. And then, so a couple of things we showed then is, I mean, you'd expect as trees grow, they would have a bigger impact, right? You you wouldn't expect a, a little sapling to be as important as a 20-year-old tree, for example, or a 100-year-old tree. And so what we found is actually one to five years after planting, there was barely any impacts of trees on health. Six to 10, those health benefits start to, start to come out. 11 to 15 years, you see an even bigger impact. So that's... When you see something like that, as you're saying, say, okay, that is behaving as it should. And then what we did is, well, let's look at trees and accidental death. Why do that? Because there's no possible way that planting trees is going to reduce accidental death, right? It's just, it just doesn't make any sense, but it's what we call a negative control. You look Because if we'd found a relationship, that would be a big problem. Because you know something else is going on. Because you, mm-hmm. you look at a relationship between two things that have no plausible causal mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So we looked and we didn't. So that's cool. So you found an impact on two causes of death that it could plausibly impact and you didn't find a relationship where it couldn't. And you also found a dose-response relationship. As trees got bigger and and got older, um, we saw a bigger impact on health. And it was pretty profound. So I think it was about 11.7 trees per year. That was the average. 11.7 trees per year in a neighborhood. And what we found is that, that that's associated, and to be clear, these are associations, right? Just so um, that was associated with about 15 fewer deaths a year, oh. which is it's not nothing. And, and one of the things you can do is also to, to monetize that. So yeah. the EPA, one of the things they do, uh, they have to put a value on human life. Yeah. And I won't go into how they do it, but it's actually pretty defensible what they do. And they say human life's worth about $10.7 million. So if you add that to our, um, you know, if you, if you put that uh, to our data and then you, you know, you look at the costs of planting and maintaining trees, we found the benefit cost ratio is about 1700 to one, mm. which is, you know, fairly reasonable return on investment. You know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you're like, it's yeah. Ask I mean, any investor if they would like that. that yeah, would, yeah. And, and also Unless this crypto. Well, yeah, crypto, they'd be like, that's not enough. Um, yeah, uh, but the thing there is, as you probably know, in the public policy sphere, when you actually do rigorous work and say, do policies work, what do you often find? They don't. They have no, they, you know, you have a smoking cessation program. Does it actually do that? You have a, you know, you're trying to reduce um, drink driving or any, any number of things. When you actually look, Unfortunately, it can be really hard to achieve what you're out to do. And here, Friends of Trees have just been, you know, just flamboyantly effective, I would say, uh, in this way. So that's that's really cool. And it also shows you, you know, trees are cheap, human life is is valuable, and then healthcare is expensive. <laughs> so, like, if you look at when I did the birth outcome one, you know, you put a kid in a, ne- a neonatal intensive care unit, that's thousands and thousands of dollars a day. It's the care of an individual child can easily run mm. into the millions of dollars. Not to mention, it's just a horrifying experience for the parents. You know, this is something you want to avoid at almost all costs. So, you know, if tree planting, and there's now, I did the first study on trees and health or the natural environment and health at all in 2011. 
Since then, there's been at least 30 studies that have found an association between the natural environment and birth weight. So if you, you know, if you can avoid just one, <laughs> you know, ju just one birth every few years, adverse birth, you know, you're paying for it multiple times over just in terms of that. Yeah. So I think, you know, in a, and I'm an economist, right? So I, I'm, I'm, a, I can think in these sort of ruthless terms, and <laughs> you know, it's fine. You know, I don't have to. And it, the the way they pay for themselves is quite interesting. And that, and I've got all sorts of other examples I can give you. That you know, a simple one is you look at trees and house price, right? And I can tell you more about that. But one of the things is, if trees increase house price, which I did in Poland, they do, um, or associate with increasing house price. They're going to increase property tax revenues as well, right? Because mm -hmm. it's unavoidable. And what so what we found is that the cost uh, that the cost of, of uh, planting and maintaining street trees in Portland was about triple the impact on property tax revenues. So they, they're actually self-financing. Oh, <laughs> right, you know, so not just in terms of benefits to other people, but purely if you were, you know, working in the city government. And you didn't care about the people who, in your city, which you know, I think there might be few of those on occasion. <laughs> the only thing you cared about was your own budget. Turn. Yeah. Then, then trees are actually appeared to be self-financing. Huh. Chris, what there might be an agency related to landscaping oh in our area that relies on property tax. Oh, never mind. Oh yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I have two follow-up questions. this is fascinating. And what, I know, what right? I, That's exactly I why I wanted to have this discussion because it doesn't get talked about. I know that Chris gave me a list of questions asked out of my own. So. Sure. Here's what I want to know. If yep. I want to avoid the inevitable stroke that I'm going to have because I yep. eat too many hot dogs yep. and I would like to be a, um, let's say I'd like to be, I'll give you a number since you're a tree economist. Yep. I want to be a billionaire in the next 10 years. How many trees do I have to plant and what kind in my front yard? 13, That's what I want to know. 13, one persimmon. <laughs> yeah. One persimmon. Yeah. That'll do it. <laughs> no, I mean, you can, I mean, it's also important to think that trees, they're not like a normal thing. They're not like a cup of coffee or a pair of pants or something where you get all the benefits. So yeah, you could plant them in your yard, but one of the problems there is you're going to get some benefits from those, but the majority of those benefits are actually going to end up with your neighbors. Well, I'm a philanthropist. Okay. It's fine. There you go. Well, <laughs> mo but the thing, the problem is most people, uh, most people aren't, you know? Oh, really? uh, yeah, oh. I know. So that, that that's oh, wow. another thing with trees where you have these spillover benefits, right? So if you're, if you're wanting to improve your health and the neighbor's health, it's important to think of them as community assets, right? right. So, yeah, and that's <laughs> an important point. So if you leave the provision of trees to individuals, yeah. we, we know that you'll get too few from a community point of view. You'll get too few in your front yard. Yeah. So, um, you know, you often see this case in multiple studies where, you know, a homeowner is bearing 100% of the costs Mm -hmm. And the majority of the benefits goes to the neighbors. You know, we call this positive externalities in economics. And so we really need to think of these things as community assets. Right. And the problem is that they're not funded that way, typically. Portland here, for example, doesn't. The, the, the cost of planting and maintaining and the legal liability associated with a street tree are 100% on the adjacent property owner, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not saying that's good or bad. Uh, what I'm that's saying the way is, it is right now. It, it yeah. is it is a thing. So I, I'm not here to say what should happen. That's not my job. But what we will say is that if you have a policy like that, 
you will end up with two futures. Yeah. yeah, that that's just that's just as night follows day. Yeah, it just makes it easier for somebody to cut it down the moment it's uprooting a sidewalk instead of right. working together to figure out the ways to save it, do it different. We get that all the time in communities Precisely. of just root heaves and, well, we got to cut down the tree. No, we can design the sidewalk differently so it, sure. as long as it's a healthy tree, can continue to thrive and, and yep. serve those purposes. I remember being in a sidewalk tree management course probably 15 years ago. And there was a case in the city of Milwaukee where they had basically cut the tree roots just around the full buffer of a sidewalk. And they were literally falling down two and three blocks later. And the lawsuit determined that each of those had a $60,000 value per tree to the property value of the house. So even going back to that, that's kind of that same story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the legal liability is not, there's no joke. I mean, uh, if it falls down, just sidewalk. I mean, I've had to pay sidewalk repairs mm-hmm. from trees, and um, that you know that's a that's a big issue. So even leaf removal, you know, that's kind of a hot issue in Portland. We you know some neighborhoods <clears throat> get it free, some don't. So again, I'm not advocating for anything here. I'm just saying that if you want to have, if you want to have the optimal number of trees from a community point of view, you need to think about how you're going to share the costs. We just need to have a more comprehensive discussion. We have these policies here that seemingly have a negative effect. So how do we bridge that and and recognize we don't have to be as draconian about it from a policy that's probably 100 years old at this point? Sure. So, okay, to me, like... We we all three of us so you don't don't know necessarily work in the planning realm in various ways and mm-hmm. uh, especially in the transportation side and talk about street trees a lot especially yep. as it relates to walkability and mm-hmm. placemaking and you know neighborhood all the livability concepts and on and on and on it, to me it's just like this is the dumbest no brainer thing yeah. <laughs> that. I have found in my career, and I, I and I had mentioned this at the beginning of the discussion. If you forget the word tree for a minute, forget that, forget that. And if I just mm. said, name me a tool, a tool that does this, 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 and oh, by the way, costs like that. <laughs> name me a better tool than that. And then when you tell people it's a tree, they, they don't quite, it's, it's like, it's mind blowing, but it's, it's so fundamental and it just it blows my mind that mm-hmm. we are not getting this and I, at least in some places we're not getting it so yep. on that line of thinking who the heck is pushing back on your research <laughs> and why yeah I don't, who's the one slur in your life yeah. is what i want to know <laughs> right. i don't i don't get so much of a direct pushback on somebody saying hey i've got a technical problem with your research i don't believe you've you know you've made a mistake you, you know, other than you know the the peer review process I go through, which oh, yeah, is that, yeah. but but do people see it and say, "Hey, I don't believe it"? No, I, I don't t- tend to get that so much. I think the problem they can say, "Well, that's fine." There's a there's an old adage in natural resources, which is, "If you can't count it, it doesn't count," right? And so I think the benefits of trees are fairly easy to ignore. So I think what people will say is, "Oh, that's fine." But just because a benefit isn't counted in the marketplace or isn't, you know, can't easily be included in a spreadsheet for a city planning or something, then it's easy to ignore. So it's not they don't need to directly challenge my research, but you don't people aren't going, they they aren't making an effort to include those values in their planning processes. That's what I see. 
So and within like a urban environment standpoint, mm. you know, what's the importance of, of biodiversity, getting the species oh, sure. right? And then talk a little bit about just with climate change and really species migration or even mm. in, in some hotter areas, trees that were viable before maybe not being there anymore. Well, the two for biodiversity, that's a really important point. And there's two big things here. One, if you just plant monocultures of trees, you're really going to run into problems with invasive species. So remember, you know, like go to a town in a little town in Wisconsin in the 70s that has mature elms down the, you know, on both sides of the street, then they're gone. And now the biggest thing in the whole county is a grain silo. You know, it makes it has a big impact. Now we're, we've just had a, in Oregon the first for the first time uh, emerald ash borer. We're going to lose all our untreated ash trees. So it's really important to diversify uh, tree canopy just as a resistance to, to bugs, and we're only going to get more of them. And that's going to become a bigger deal. Then you, you, the stuff I talked about earlier is if you're around more diverse plants, that can have an imp impact on our immune function. And so I did a couple of studies uh, in uh, New Zealand. I was there for a while, and we saw that, for example, asthma, we found that if kids lived in a greener neighborhood, uh, they were less likely to get asthma. But if that greenness, that given level of greenness, came from more di more diverse land cover types, right, then that was even more protective. So, and then we also found like if a, we did a, we classified every little uh, thing called a mesh block in New Zealand, which is a very small, it's just like a tiny little area. Um, and we we classified them as low, medium, or high plant diversity. Uh, using a whole lot of things. And what we found is that if a kid was born or lived in an area um, with high plant diversity, they were at 35% lower risk of developing childhood leukemia than a kid who grew wow. up in a lower plant. <laughs> so it is no joke. You know, I mean, we know this in other ways, like farmers' kids are well known. They're much less likely to get immune diseases. Mm -hmm. Kids who live around animals, even like bad animals, like, you know, cockroaches and things. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's even, even them, you know, I saw a study where they just looked at the number of animals. So if your dog was good, cat was good, you know, but even having cockroaches is bad <laughs> for other reasons. But um, yeah, so that diversity, so it matters because it makes, it's more resilient. Um, but then it also matters uh, because that, and this is new research, the link between plant diversity um, and human health is very new. Uh, even it's a kind of subset of the green health research we've been talking about. Um, but we, we have, you may be familiar with the biodiversity hypothesis and this notion that we have a global loss of biodiversity. And at the same yeah. time, we have an increase in immune diseases. Mm -hmm. And they, they hypothesize there's a link between the two. And so some of my work has found specific um, uh, cases to support that. So yeah, biodiversity is enormous, enormously important. We don't fully understand how. And then you act to climate change, absolutely. So we know what should that diversity be? Uh, you know, I know that the city of Portland has done some, you know, plantings with like cork oak and things like that to see how they'll do because they're more drought resistant, you know, particularly street trees, that can be a really unforgiving environment for a tree. You know, there's not a lot of shade, there's a lot of impervious surface around it. The roots are not necessarily in the, you know, the, the, the capacity of the roots to grow can be a bit limited. So they can be pretty brutal environments for a tree. So yeah, we need to think about that planting diverse trees, planting trees that are resistant to disease and planting trees that will, um, you know, that will do well in a changing climate. 
it's a concern I have where Chris and I both live in Boise, Idaho, and we're yeah. the city of trees. And even though we're mm-hmm. in a semi-arid desert, I just think of the massive amounts of impervious surface mm-hmm. and summers getting warmer and just yep. foresee a time where those trees are going to start getting baked and we're going to have a more serious problem. And I, I hope we're planning for that type of diversity. Jess? Also, I was I was wondering, you were talking a lot about um, the impacts of health for children and like mm-hmm. how they're less, it, are there impacts for those of us who maybe didn't grow up uh, around this, this, fabulous environment that would have given us a little bit is it is it helpful later in life like if i go move to a very tree place is it going to help my health oh absolutely absolutely i mean we know that from short-term experiments if you if you were to go outside now sit under a tree um assuming it's not raining which it is here but if you were to do that right here but i'll do it anyway well well, let's imagine it's a nice day and we would we would know (laughs) you you would see your short-term markers of stress go down immediately Oh. Heart rate would go down, blood pressure would go down, salivary cortisol would go down. For hanging out under a tree? Yep. Yep. I just Even the persimmon that makes you mad will have yeah. that. Oh my effect. God, it's so gross. I just don't yeah. want to eat it. Yeah, oh, that's well, you can, incredible. You can this pet it, incredible. you know. <laughs> yes, um, and then the, let's think of let's <laughs> think of. To it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we think of the other things. We know that those trees are going to absorb air pollution. Uh-huh. We absolutely uh-huh. know air pollution is linked to a lot of disease in adults. We know that in greener areas, people are more likely to exercise. Certainly that's important. Interestingly, greenness can have an impact on community connectivity. In greener yeah. areas, people show more social connections. Uh-huh. I actually did a study recently where I I wanted to measure this. We haven't. It's been a little tricky to measure. So I said, well, what ha-, trying to think of a proxy for social connectivity. And I used uh, participation in... Uh, Voting, so how, how much how you know, uh, participation is in both uh, primary and general elections, and I found that tree planting was associated with increases um, in voting, and that's a proxy for social connectivity. So because we know loneliness will kill you. Yeah. So you if there's know, a part of yeah. town that you don't want to vote, just cut their trees down. Cut their trees down. Oh just <laughs> Don't, don't, give, don't, don't give that policy tool out there, <laughs> oh Chris. My God. That, that's what I think I heard you say, right? That's oh. precise, absolutely. Okay, okay. Uh, precisely <laughs> so, what I was saying. But so yeah, the idea then, of it lowering your stress when you get out there. So this is amazing to me because the, the question I'm supposed to be asking is, what are the key takeaways that um, planners should take from your research? And I'm hmm. thinking one, and then you can give me the next top five, but the one sure. is that we're all stressed out because we have these thankless jobs. Yep. So we should go outside and sit under a tree. That's one key takeaway. What else can we do? Well, I think you've got to think about, I mean, a, th- a few things to, to bear in mind here. One, these are general, that trees have an incredible range of benefits, right? So it's important mm-hmm. to understand that range. So, you know, house price, energy, stormwater, crime, health. And the important from a planning point of view specifically it seems like planning can become a very siloed thing because it, it sort of matches the departmental structure of government. You know, okay, well, I'm in crime reduction. Well, I'm in st- stormwater management, I, whatever it may be. And the problem is, is that the benefits of trees cross all those departmental boundaries. So that's something to remember. Mm-hmm. The other is that those benefits, whether you can count them or not, often far exceed the costs. So mm. it's something... Then, then the final thing would, from a general point of view here, would be those spillover benefits. That is, the benefits 
they're very generous. They, they, you know, they spill over to neighbors, sometimes to the whole world. So carbon sequestration, for example, the carbon your tree sequesters, you get essentially none of the benefits. It's the entire world that benefits. You know, if you're looking at, say, stormwater, then it's the city that benefits. So in some cases, those benefits are felt almost exclusively by others. So we know that in those situations, you've got to take a collective uh, viewpoint. Now, if we're thinking purely about health, I would really urge planners to think of trees as an essential part of our public health infrastructure. Mm -hmm. They really are and a cost-effective one at that. And I, I say those words carefully, and I say essential not as hyperbole, but really the, the, ben, the type of benefits you get are really difficult to get in other means. So that's why I, I, I carefully but specifically use the word essential there. And I, I'm going to immediately call our local largest state <laughs> employer who I have contacts with, who happens to be a hospital and happens to invest significantly in oh, yeah. health, health interventions and say, you want, you truly want to keep people out of your hospital. I got something that you need to, to yeah. spend more money well, on, you know, and some, some hospitals, um, there's programs where they have healing gardens in the hospitals. Well, yeah. yeah it, and yeah. that gets me to, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Richard Louvre and, mm. and his writings of like last child in the woods and yep. the, the power of healing mm. that comes along with the natural environment and exposure mm -hmm. to it. Yep. Um, you know, and so, gosh, oh, so stupid, so stupid. <laughs> well, we work in we 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 work in a lot of of small towns and small cities. We talk about walkability, and certainly yep. the older parts of older ones. We worked last year in Livingston, Montana, mm. and here's these buffers that are wide enough to both safely and healthily accommodate a tree, but they're just gone over time. And even yep. just suggesting a program to go back in. And and help residents um, mm. put them in those spaces would just make a difference. I mean, literally, in some go block by block and see the visual and aesthetic difference, but but not accounting for that specific health and and other yeah. Costs outcomes. Well, you you know, if if you get one of those neighborhoods where that you know the houses are basically all built at the same time, and you walk and there's a block that has mature trees, and then for whatever reason you walk onto the next block and it doesn't, I mean, it's a profound feeling. Uh, and I think those feel, I mean, um, and what you feel, um, you know, basically my research backs that up. That's what, you know, so you, you feel that's that real intuitive sense that you're in a very different environment. Um, and it's absolutely the case. So Jeff, before we turn our attention to the lightning round and have mm -hmm. some fun, uh, I just want to give you an opportunity. What future research are you looking at doing? What, what's, what is the next endeavor for you? Well, I'm really focusing on this biodiversity and health and human microbiome. So we've got a study at the moment. Isn't where, everybody? I mean. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. It's really, I mean, the microbiome is just, it's exploded in importance. Um, yeah. So what I'm trying to see is, you know, specifically what types of trees and plants, uh, you know, uh, can can they influence the, micro, the human microbiome in a positive way? Because um, not just simply like all microbes are good. You know, diversity, general diversity is better, but we certainly know there are certain microbes that are associated with positive health outcomes, some that are associated with negative ones, you know, and what type of, uh, you know, yards or open space tend to promote that. So I really want to uh, look into that. I'm doing some uh, work on the East Coast with the gypsy moth. Uh, if you're familiar with that, you know, defoliates. And I'm, I'm interested, like, well, okay, if it's done all this defoliation, do you see a public health impact from that defoliation? 
So I'm um, I'm putting a study together on that at the moment. So yeah, the, awesome. the, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, for any of our listeners or folks who are watching, I highly encourage you to take a look and then we can click a, put a couple of the links up to some of your research on our on our website yeah. and also on this episode um, but make sure you search out Jeffrey Donovan uh USDA Forest Service research forester because I think I it, it, I truly I struggle with it seems to me like you know this profession of planning that we are all involved in the three of us anyway you know there are some very fundamental lessons learned that after doing this for a hundred plus years in this country and other places it's like come on we have some pretty solid pieces of information by now yeah. mm-hmm. that we should be able to apply and apply pretty universally you know to improve things and if we're still mm-hmm. scratching our heads about a tree for crying out loud about mm-hmm. well yeah should we should we? well we like don mentioned we hear it all the time well there's maintenance yeah there is maintenance but there's so many benefits that come from it mm-hmm. that it dwarfs any of the maintenance concerns but, that you have you know but the problem there is the maintenance costs are very real they come out of yeah, somebody's true they come out of somebody's yeah. budget where yeah. do the benefits go where do they get yeah. tallied up now they are yeah. very real somebody not being dead is a big deal right? <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but it, depending on the person but you that that increase in life it doesn't it doesn't sit re- neatly in the same spreadsheet as that cost so yeah, you know yeah. when when you think very narrowly or you know just in terms of the things that can be measured in a budgetary sense right that's the problem you, you get is that the right. costs are real the the benefits are just as real but they're not experienced in the same way yeah fair that's a fair point and it's and it's worth ensuring that you know that part of the discussion yes. before you go into it right and yeah, I, yeah. if we look at them as a piece of the community infrastructure for yes. health safety and general welfare then we can maybe look at it as no different than a stormwater system a sewer system a water it, system whatever that may be and recognize those benefits there that takes maintenance costs yeah as well yeah oh not to be clear i wasn't saying that that you know that i support your point absolutely it's just simply yeah. that it, it's just understanding why people do it. I think just having this sort of narrow budgetary mindset, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, um, and just somehow like what I'm trying to do is give information so that you can bring those benefits into, you know, you can actually now start to balance them against the cost. Okay. Well, it is going to cost us, you know, a hundred dollars a year to maintain this tree or whatever it is. Ah, but we can now point to these these benefits, and so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give people like you guys, yeah, the, the yeah. information you have to make better informed decisions. Because ultimately, like I'm a publicly funded scientist, right? And I, how do I make a living? Like, how do I make myself valuable? Is it's allowing people to make better decisions, uh, and that's yeah. it. That's what I'm trying to do. That's the bottom line. There you go. Well, and we appreciate it for sure. So thank you. A couple quick questions on our lightning round and we'll, we'll cut you loose and get back to your research. Thank you. Um, as a Portland resident, it's voodoo donuts, if I'm not mistaken, right? Ah. Is that a is that a weekly stop for you? <laughs> Monthly? Never no, been there? Oh, I'm a f i am I'm not a fan of of voodoo donuts. They're a bit ah. much. I'm a very much a fan of donuts. 
So I like <laughs> yeah. so um, so I like cocoa donuts. Am I, oh I my goodness! I, so I, I, yeah, I love um, just uh, you know I love a an old fashioned or a plain glaze. I don't want the ones with Pepto Bismol in and stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, like, the booty donuts are amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't. It's too much. It's the same. Like I don't like Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I li- you know like I like plain vanilla ice cream. It's just I think you're a donut purist. I am. Yeah, I, it's it's a noble thing, really. I think <laughs> so. Uh, we just finished the holiday season. Mm-hmm. Are you a fake tree guy or a real tree guy for your Christmas? <laughs> oh, come on now. Of course I'm a real tree guy. <laughs> okay. Good. That's that's a vulgar so, question. I resent it. So saddest tree book of all time. Is it the Lorax or the giving tree? The oh. Lorax is not that chirpy, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it does not end well. a, No, no, I'm gonna go with the Lorax on that one. Oh. Yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta rewrite that in a positive spin, don't we? Yeah. Get give the kids something to yeah. be happy about and cheerful. Can you quote the Lorax? Because I can. No, I can. Here. <laughs> no, I can. I can quote some books like that. Um, let's see, uh, Curious George and the Puppies. I'm pretty good oh, at. Quoting. There you go. And uh, you know, what's the little one with Francis and she bre- bread and jam for Francis? Uh-huh, bread and jam for Francis. Yeah, because I that's one. basically. I eat bread and jam all the time, so I can quote that. But I love bread and jam, as long as it's not persimmon jam. But anyway, <laughs> we, we, we all have our lines in the sand. There I'm you telling. go. Next uh, vacation destination for you, probably Southern Utah. Southern oh. Utah, yeah. Okay. really? Yeah, my uh, my wife and I try and go every year. Try and go canyoneering in Southern Utah. It's just Moab. like you know, it's Moab sometimes, but we're often the places with a little less people. So we really want to get out. And that's one of the things with Southern Utah, you can get out where yeah. you're literally miles from yeah. anyone. Just so, not yeah. in July, right? Not in no, St. St. Yeah. Yeah. no, May, May is a good time. So I'm thinking of canyoneering. Are there trees in Southern Utah? Well, there, there are. You occasionally <laughs> get in a canyon. Landscape. You get Yeah, you get some cottonwoods down in the bottom of the canyons oh, there. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's about where cottonwoods grow. Everywhere yeah. other yeah. trees can grow. Yeah. Oh, that's another one we have in Alaska. Cottonwoods. It's a terrible. Yeah, thing. you do. Yeah, you Those do. Those are the three trees we have. Well, occasionally you get older. Older, you get an older where there's mm-hmm. put over areas. You get the older coming back. It's, I lived in Southeast Alaska, so that's, oh, well, that's, that's just Washington. Um, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, it's like so. a Washington Canadian situation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Cedar oh. Cedar City is a pretty cool town. We Don and I got to do some work down there, and uh, had no idea the Shakespeare presence that existed in a you know relatively smaller Southern Utah city. Mm. But because of the university, and yeah, it's quite different. The yep. you know landscape is very different. Well, so. and I think that does that the serious question. You know, I think yeah, trees are good for you, but the natural environment more generally. You, yeah, you know, so yeah, if you're if yeah. you're in the desert, do I think there are no benefits because there aren't many trees on the country? You know, yeah. Yeah, so I think yeah. so. It is, we talk about trees almost as a shorthand for the natural environment, particularly because mm-hmm. where we're where we are. But but I, I think it is a broader discussion. Yeah. So are your vacation pictures just full of different biodiversity, lack of biodiversity? I never see the tree application there. I know we have that with our profession. Listen, no, Don, you are the only person that goes around taking pictures of push buttons to see how far they are away from where somebody could reach. <laughs> Says the person who took a bathroom of the inside of a portable toilet in where were you again switzerland hey i recently took a picture of a speed limit sign that said spa zone which i thought was the perfect reason to go 35 miles an hour 
I'm sorry, Jeff. So do you oh, do things like this? <laughs> yeah, I, I just have to, have to take. I take. I take a lot of pictures of of dogs. Whatever. Oh, okay. Like, perfect. Like perfect. A, and uh, you you can't see, but right next to me is my 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 sleeping puggle. Oh, there you <laughs> well, go. I admire there your ability to then let it go when you're in that environment. I was going to say, some people are not that. obsessed with their, with their so. work like we I guess are. I have, oh, I have a catalog of curb ramps from around the world. So. Well, that, that, <laughs> I, would, I would not mention that to a mental health professional. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The tree oh, economist no just doubt. told us we're special. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. He's Go just spend saying. some time under a tree and clear that head of yours. I got to go. All now. right. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Jeffrey Donovan, uh, again, research forester with the USDA Forest Service. Man, thank you so much for your time and your fantastic research. Thank you. Um, it's been a privilege having this conversation, and I, I look forward to seeing and more stuff things. we will put to use and, and have and, 100%. and that. So, absolutely. I'm going to go plant a persimmon yeah. tree right now. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I, I do appreciate the uh, the opportunity. It's very kind of you. Yeah. Well, for your thank time. you for being us. All right. So, listeners, planningcommissionpodcast.com. Go check it out. YouTube, Amazon, Apple, all the other ways. We're out there. Uh, email us. You can do that too. We'd love to, to hear from our listeners and viewers uh, and maybe some future ideas. We have lots of opportunities coming up, lots of uh, guests. I can't believe some of them still on the horizon. So can't wait to see how the rest of 2023 unfolds. Commissioners, I need a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. All right. With that, we're going to wrap this episode. Thank you for listeners. Thank you again, Jeff, our wonderful guest. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks. Listener. Hey, listener. That's you. Would you like more content? Well, if you would, check out our YouTube page. Watch us there. Go to our Facebook page. Like us there. We do live episodes about every couple weeks, and all of our episodes are available on both of those platforms, in addition to Apple, Spotify, and a whole bunch of other places where you get your podcasts. Tell us what you think. What about some guests or organizations that you think we should interview? We're game. Let us know. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it, and we'll try to keep up the good work. Now get back to your packet. 